0: Good morning. My intent this morning is to keep the message as brief as possible. My wife has been in Honduras for eight days. She returns home at 9.39 p.m. I've got work to do. Uh, just being myself and the dog at home all week, we have a two-human-being dog, and we've created quite a lot to deal with today, so hope to keep it short. If you're here for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, and I want to share with you that we have been doing a sermon series on the Beatitudes. There are eight of them. The Beatitudes are at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And there are eight blessings given by Jesus. Eight countercultural, counterintuitive blessings that are given. Each one of these Beatitudes, in each one of them, you can hear and understand and comprehend the whole gospel. The whole gospel in each and every one of these Beatitudes. As a whole, what I love about the Beatitudes is what they say about who God is. That God is a blesser. I look at the world around us. I see so much pain and suffering, conflict and heartbreak. And It is so, such good news for the world we live in to be able to say that we have a God who cares about you. We have a God that loves you and a God who blesses. And my prayer has been, as we have walked through these Beatitudes, that we would ourselves commit ourselves to being a church that moves into the world, that our hearts are broken by the things that we see in the world, and that we are moved to join with God to be a blessing. To be a blessing. To live the good news of Jesus. So today we're going to focus on the fourth beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to Jerusalem, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The remarkable thing about these these beatitudes is how truly countercultural they are. Because when Jesus went up on the mountain and he began to preach and to share these blessings, he was blessing people no one considered to be blessed. He was giving his blessing to the left out, to the forgotten, the left behind, the spiritual zeros, those filled with doubt, anxiety, fear, those who had been pushed down, pushed down. But what we've done in the church is because we want to tame Jesus, we have taken these beatitudes and we've turned them into virtues. Blessed are you if you have humbled yourself then you shall be shall have the kingdom. Blessed are you if you mourn your spiritual condition, well, then God will comfort you. Blessed are you if you're meek, meaning you have submitted your life to the control of Jesus and you have restrained your impulses, and then God will give you what, what God wants to give you. The problem with turning the beatitudes into a virtue is that we fundamentally misunderstand the gospel when we do that. Because God's love and blessing is not given to the righteous and to those who live right and do all the right things. You see, the radical scandal of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it's given to us when we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, and we've done nothing to receive it. And so in these Beatitudes, Jesus is not blessing those who have it all put together and who make it the church every Sunday. But instead, he is blessing truly people living in miserable human conditions. Now, the reason we turn them into virtues is because it lets us off the hook. It it lets us off having responsibility. But here he is blessing the truly poor, those whose spirits have been broken by their poverty. Those who mourn because they have experienced real suffering and loss, those for whom death is not an abstraction. And blessed are those who have been so beaten down, they become meek and they've just given up. Blessed are all those people that you know, we know, who've been living under some kind of power in their life, depression, mental illness, some poverty, some pain, some suffering, that has pressed them down to the ground, and they just can't stand up anymore. He's saying, he's saying here essentially, if you feel forgotten, God hasn't forgotten you. And every Jewish person who was in the audience that day and heard Jesus speak from that mountain, they knew and remembered something from their past. They remembered that when Moses was a washed up, wannabe, midlife guy out in the middle of the desert tending sheep, they remember the voice of God speaking to him through that burning bush saying, I have heard your cries. I have observed your suffering. I know your pain. And I've come to deliver you. Same thing. Jesus standing on that hillside in a little faraway town in Galilee and saying, I've heard your pain. I- I've heard your cry. I've observed your suffering. And I've come to to deliver you. And so now we get then to this fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So as I begin to explain this beatitude, let me ask you a question. What is righteousness then? Now that's a good question. Because if I were to ask you as you walked out the door today, what is righteousness, some of you would say, "Um, I don't know. You get a blank look on your face. Or I would get 150 different answers. Because it's a big word, isn't it? It's it's often a misunderstood word. In fact, it's a really important word. You, You can look in the Old Testament and you'll find that the word righteousness is mentioned more than 500 times. In the New Testament, it's mentioned more than... 200 times most often when we talk about righteousness we don't speak about it in a positive light because we attach a word in front of it what is the word? self-righteousness we think of righteousness as being stuffy, sanctimonious having an inflated sense of who I am in relationship to others and in relationship to God it's thinking better of ourselves than we should it is kind of a overzealous sense of self-piety. In fact, if I were to ask you, uh, what would you like for people to say about you at your funeral? Raise your hand if you want somebody to say, well, I was righteous. Oh, you wouldn't do that because that would be what? Self-righteous. There's another way we describe this word. And we describe righteousness as kind of a personal piety. So when I mean personal piety, what I mean is is how we conduct ourselves. You know, the language we use, the words we speak, our religious habits, church attendance, uh, reading the Bible, studying scripture, uh, prayer, fasting. You know, abstaining from certain immoral practices. Those sort of things. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and I would say that perhaps in our culture today, which is rather unrestrained, maybe we could use a little more personal piety. Maybe we could use a little more piety in a world that lacks such modesty. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that's what Jesus really had in mind. What did Jesus have in mind when he talks about righteousness? Well, rather than me tell you I want to let him speak for himself because Jesus defines it very clearly. I promise you, when I share with you what he said, you're going to go, oh, I get it. That's it. Now, here's how I want to do it. I want you to, in front of you, there's a Bible. Grab a Bible in front of you. I want you to hold that book in your hand I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel and I want you to look at chapter 25 because there Jesus tells this story and in this story he completely defines it. There will be no question in your mind about what he means. So rather than me tell you I want you to see for yourself. Here's what he says. Chapter 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed. And you visited me. Now here it is. You ready? You ready? Some of you are not ready. you ready? Okay. Then the righteous will answer him. Who are the righteous? Jesus is very clear. The righteous are those who feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit and love the stranger, visit those who are in prison, and take care of the sick. Righteousness is not a spiritual feeling or a belief, according to Jesus in this text. Righteousness is the concrete, physical things that you do for the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, the needy. It's caring for the poor, comforting those who mourn, and blessing the meek. That's righteousness. I'm not making it up. Jesus said it. Then he goes on and says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. You know, I read that this week and it just really grabbed my heart. In some translations, he calls them brothers. In my translation, he calls the hungry and the sick and the needy and the imprisoned. Who? Members of his family. In a world that despises, marginalizes, and victimizes and considers the poor as objects of charity and need and demonizes them, Jesus calls them members of his family. And when we love and care for people who are poor or sick or wounded or hurt or in some way, left out and left behind, what are we doing? We are loving his family. Wow. Is that, that's just really clear to me. That's righteousness. Now, if you go back and we could do a, a long study on this, there are three major prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, In Isaiah, 12 minor prophets. There's one minor prophet by the name of Micah. Did you read Micah this morning? Probably not. But Micah is a little small book in the back of the Old Testament. And all the major prophets, including Micah, all were concerned about two things. One, they were concerned because God's people had turned to other gods and were trying to be like the other nations. They were depending on their own power and might instead of depending on God for their security. That was one concern. The second concern was... They had forgotten that they were once slaves and God had delivered them. And now they were using their power to oppress the poor. They were stepping on the poor. They were religious. They were spiritual. But they were not caring for people that God wanted them to care for. And so over and over again, you hear the prophets saying... You know, you got all, you're doing all this religious stuff. You're, you're showing up at the temple, you're showing up and you're offering sacrifices and you're fasting and you're, you're bowing down and putting on sackcloth and ashes, but I don't want any of that. The fast I want is concern for the poor. So you open up the book of, of Micah and you get this remarkable thing. In the midst of all that, Micah makes this really amazing claim. Micah says there's going to be a God's going to straighten this out because God's going to send a king to the earth. And that king is going to be born where? Bethlehem. Oh, little city of Bethlehem. You're going to give birth to a king, and this king will be the one who comes in the name of peace. In the Old Testament, peace, justice, and righteousness are all a part of the same family. It means to make things right for those who don't stand a chance. It's about giving everyone the equal opportunity to land and to resources and to food and to love and to bless them. It's the primary heart of the concern of God. Micah says, someone's gonna be born in Bethlehem who's gonna be that kind of king who's gonna restore us. Then he goes on and says, we know what we're supposed to do, he says to the people, that God wants us to do three things to do justice, Micah 6-8, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. So you read through the Old Old Testament, maybe, you read through the Old Testament, you read through the prophets, and then you open up the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and in the first chapter, guess what happens? Matthew says, there's a new king coming And he quotes who? Micah. You see? He's drawing an allusion to the Old Testament prophet, making it clear who Jesus is and why he came. And so when he stands up on the mountain, it's undeniably clear that he has come for those who have been left behind and to make things right for those who don't stand a chance and have their backs up against the wall. So what does it mean then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? He's talking about people who are literally starving for things to be made right in this world for them. The people who don't stand a chance. He's saying, God has heard your voice. God cares about, I have observed your suffering. Bless you, bless you, bless you. You shall inherit the earth, you shall be comforted, and you shall be filled. But what about the rest of us? Those of us who were born on third base. Most all of us who have opportunities that others don't have. What does it say to us? He's saying to us, are you moved? Are you moved by the poor? Has your heart been open and enlarged by the poor and the mourning and the sick and the diseased? Do you see the things that I see? And when you look at the world, has it not, has it created a hunger in you? A thirst in you? Or are you so filled with yourself that you can't see empty yourself? Let the world break your heart. If you're really hungry, I will give you what you need. You're not going to get it from this world that just wants to comfort you. Be uncomfortable. And hunger for what I hunger for. Connect yourself for the things that I care about. Have a burning desire in you. You will be blessed if you have a burning desire for things to be made right. That's what it means. That's the fourth beatitude. Four observations. Number one, it means being in tune and aware of the things that are going on around us in our world. Most of us, were just not aware. We don't see. We don't hear.
1: And we walk around
0: in our little safe world. Someone um, said this proverb. I don't know who said it, but I read it this week. It says, what the eye cannot see, the heart cannot grieve. Catch that? What the eye cannot see, the heart cannot grieve. I want to challenge you. I want to give you an assignment. I put in your program guide a book called Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson. There's also a TED talk. If you don't have a chance to to read the book, the TED talk's 15 minutes, and Brian Stevenson is a justice advocate. Uh, he's an attorney who founded a nonprofit in Alabama, and he has been pointing out uh, and got some legislation passed to prevent children from being tried as adults and put in adult prisons. In the book, he writes about an experience he had where he. Um, defended a teenager who was 13 years old when he was put into prison for armed robbery, put in prison for the rest of his life, and who spent 18 years in a room, 8 by 8, in solitary confinement in adult prison at the age of 13. And he asked the question, what kind of culture does that to teenagers? If you really want your eyes open and you want to see so your heart can grieve, I would read Brian Stevenson's book. But pay attention, look around. All around us we have opportunities to have our minds, but we're so defensive, we so close ourselves off, we have to be open. Let's not be the religious people who rejected Jesus. The second thing is we must be willing to be uncomfortable. Following Jesus means being uncomfortable. He says, be hungry. A friend of mine, I'm not talking about Dave Seeley, just retired. And he went church shopping. And he wrote on a post recently, he said, if I want good coffee, I can go to Starbucks. If I want a good group of guys to hang out with, I can go to the barbershop and meet all the old, bald guys I want. He said, if I want entertainment, I can watch Netflix as long as I want. He says, when I'm looking for a church, I want the one thing I can get there that I can't get anywhere else. And he said, it's truth. The truth of God's word, helping me see the world differently and to being a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a student of Jesus. The purpose of the church is not to make people comfortable it's for us to look like him, to love like him, to share like him, to be like him, to have a hunger like him. The next thing is that I think that we need to stop asking the question, why am i here? Do you know why? The reason is because that's what people with full stomachs say, why am i here? That's a first world luxury. Instead of asking the question, why am I here, we just need to ask, what can I do here? If you want to know why you're here, start doing something and you'll find out why that you're here. But we spend so much time navel-gazing and asking about our purpose when God said, well, just go give that guy a sandwich. I walk around most of the time living on another planet and another world. You know, I'm up here, Thank goodness my thank goodness God gave me a wife with her feet on the ground for a preacher with his feet up in the air. I I just I live on another planet and I just forget it's something so simple. I'm over at the nursing home last Sunday because I heard a sermon last week by the preacher that stood up here that said, Go bless the meek. So I went to the nursing home. Went to visit a member of our church that hadn't been here in a long time. On the way to visit him, there was an older guy sitting in a wheelchair, right? Walked right by him. Then I go, what would the preacher say? <laughs> Turned around, walked back, sat down, and said, sir, my name is David. How, what's your name? He said, my name is Ed. What are you doing in the hallway, Ed? He says, I'm waiting for lunch. I said, what are you going to have for lunch? He said, a hot dog. I said, tell me about yourself. He was a World War II veteran who flew Hellcats, fighter planes, and landed them on and off aircraft carriers. Here is a World War II veteran hero who fell, flew Hellcats waiting for a hot dog in a hallway to a nursing home, and I almost walked right by him. I don't think God wants me to ask, what's my purpose? God wants me to just sit down and talk to the guy waiting f- for a hot dog. And to honor Him and to say, thank you. Thank you for your service. That leads me to the last point. The last point is, if you want to be happy, just help someone. If you're sad, if you're lonely, if you're depressed, or you're angry, or you're anxious, or you're lost, or you're confused, just help someone. I want to show you a... Picture of my wife. Ignore all the other people in the picture. Look at all the people in the picture. They're all smiling. Look at my wife. Isn't she beautiful and cute, right? She's got dirt all over her face. And look at the smile on her face. She's beaming. You don't get a smile like that on a five-star luxury cruise. There's nothing wrong with taking a cruise... But you don't get the kind of gratitude and thanksgiving and fulfillment on a cruise that you get from going to a third world country and installing a great big ass fan. (laughs) The path to happiness is meeting someone else's need. Showing the love every day. I began to pray this week and asking the question, what does it mean for us to be a church that is hungering and thirsting? And I think this is it. I think that what it is, is that we need to be a church that's continually blessing people, blessing our community. Being a church that's open to all people. Be a church that's truly welcoming. Being that church. And you know what I find is that the more we help, the more we serve, the hungrier and the more thirsty that we will become. And you know what I have found? I've found to be true is that when you begin to do what Jesus wants us to do, it fills us. The work of Jesus will satisfy you like nothing else. There's nothing that feels better than to get outside of yourself and to help someone else. It's not that complicated, is it, really? How can I respond to the gospel message that was preached today? One, listen to Just Mercy. Read Just Mercy, watch the video. Two, just go find someone to help. Just do something nice for someone. Three, today, you could give your heart and mind and soul to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants to make you very uncomfortable.